We are digging into the book of Daniel to learn how we as Christians can still live for God in the midst of a culture that has marginalized morality, put a question mark over absolute truth, and is doing everything it can to erase any space for God. So is there any hope for us as Christians here in America? And does God have the power to transform the proud, hard hearts of most of those who make the big decisions in our country? Well, I think Daniel chapter 4 is going to be a wake-up call for some of you and a marvelous reminder to all of us that God is in control of who is in control, but I'm going to add to it today, and has the power to radically transform the hard hearts of people we would have given up on long ago and said, oh, no, no, not them, not them. They'll never be a Christian. They would never... What's going on in Daniel chapter 4 today is this is the shocking personal testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar. You need to understand he's in his late 70s now in Daniel chapter 4 and this is the last we're going to hear of Nebuchadnezzar. This is the final chapter on his life. We're going to see some additional pagan kings as we move through Daniel. This is it. And this is his personal testimony as we close out his life. In other words, Daniel chapter 4 would be like King Nebuchadnezzar showing up in one of our testimony services. If you've been here a while, we do it twice a year. We put mics in the, in the aisle. It'd be like King Nebuchadnezzar, we all know he's wicked, getting up out of his seat and moving towards one of the microphones with all of us wondering, what could this wicked man possibly have to say to us in a worship service? I'm not going to leave you wondering. I'm going to let you listen to him for yourself. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. And I do hope you have a Bible. Daniel chapter 4. And you follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for who? Me. This is personal. It's testimony time. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So verses 1 to 3, tee it up that he's telling you his testimony. Now verse 4, you need to understand, reaches back eight years prior He's going to tell you how he got to this point. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make it known to me, its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the Holy 
God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I've had and its interpretations. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade. Under it, the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from the heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from underneath it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of an animal. And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Gives it to whomever he will. And sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under the, which the beasts of the field dwelt and on whose branches the birds of the heaven had their habitation. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times passes over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he 
chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great? Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Look at me a minute. You need to understand historians tell us he had a lot to be proud of on a human level. This was a city like none other. He had not one, not two, but three magnificent palaces and the walls around this city were 40 feet high and so thick that two chariots could pass each other on top. There's roads on top of the walls and two of the seven wonders of the world were found in that city. One of them, the hanging gardens of Babylon that he had designed. Is this not great Babylon? that I have done by my might and my majesty. Verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. At the end of the time, I... Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. The word of the Lord and all God's people said, 
So what can we learn from this chapter about how to live as Christians in these dark days? Well, here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one, don't make the mistake of assuming that earthly prosperity can produce the internal riches of true peace and rest in God. Look at how Nebuchadnezzar describes his life in verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and I was flourishing in my palace. That's what it always looks like to us, right? When we look at those people in our culture that seem to have it all. They've got what everyone's chasing after. Sadly, what sometimes Christians are right in there chasing after with them. He's got it. Because that Hebrew word for flourishing, that Hebrew word for flourishing right there means to have fortunate circumstances financially. So often we think that would solve our biggest problems. If we had fortunate circumstances financially, but you need to keep on reading into verse five to see where Nebuchadnezzar is talking about being afraid and the thoughts of his head and the visions on his bed troubling him. What is he talking about? He's talking about not being able to sleep. He's talking about having horrible nights. See, what you need to understand, it doesn't matter how much stuff you got piled around you, it cannot buy you true inner peace and rest. You can't buy it with money. You can't get that with money. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. This is not uncommon. Marilyn Monroe died at age 36, medicating herself to sleep. Elvis died at age 42, struggling to sleep. Michael Jackson, whose 1992 album Thriller is the best-selling album of all time, 66 million copies, died at age 55 after going 60 days without any real sleep. He was so desperate for sleep, he began to pay a personal physician $150,000 a month to infuse him with propofol as a solution to his insomnia. And the last dose killed him. Sleep, peace, rest. Listen to me. I don't know what you don't have, But if you can sleep, you've got something that most of the wealthy can't buy, can't get a hold of. Oh, as God's children, so often we're the ones that look like we lack so much of what the world has. Don't lose sight of what you have that they don't. And this is a constant struggle because Psalm 73 and many other places say, don't be envious of them. Don't get worked up about what they have that you don't have. Be aware of what you do have That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 4 what he does. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Number two, don't make the mistake of hating unbelievers or delighting in their destruction. Oh, I know it's easy to go there, folks. Be careful. Be careful. I see Christians getting this wrong. Don't make the mistake of hating unbelievers or delighting in their destruction. You did not get that from the Bible. 
God himself says in Ezekiel that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says in 1 Peter, it's his desire that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why has he not returned? Because he's not paying attention? No, our God delays his return and final judgment out of mercy for unbelievers. Don't make a mistake here. I know it's easy to do. So often we just want to see wicked people crushed and snuffed out to the glory of God. But if we were honest, folks, let's be honest, it almost never has anything to do with a righteous indignation and jealousy for God's glory. It almost always has to do with our own frustration and anger and fear about how their evil is impacting us personally. Let's be honest. So I want you to notice something that stands out in this chapter. Look at how Daniel loved a man who had wrecked his own life and decimated his own country. See, right now I hear a lot about, right? Uh, my heart goes out to Americans who are not Christians. They're just old school Americans. Like, what happened to my America? Oh. But Christians, we should be the ones that understand we were always citizens of another, another much more important kingdom. It's wonderful when America's in line with our values and whatever, but when it's not, we can still sleep and have joy and have purpose because my citizenship is somewhere else. So when you see Americans getting all worked up like, oh, look what they're doing to my country. Don't hear me saying it doesn't make me sad. But it doesn't devastate me. Like, and it's no cause for hating them. You say, oh, but look at the evil they're promoting. And look, uh-huh. Other believers have lived during very evil times. Daniel loved a man who had wrecked his own life as a teenager and decimated his homeland. You say, how do you know this, Brad? Whoo! You see his heart in verse 19. Look at it. Look at verse 19. When God reveals to Daniel what is about to happen next to Nebuchadnezzar, the heart that you see is not what you would have expected to come bubbling out at all. When God revealed to Daniel what was about to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, it says, and Daniel was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. He was speechless. He just, he's so disturbed. The ESV says he was dismayed. That means to lose enthusiasm. The New American Standard says he was appalled. So that Nebuchadnezzar had to say, no, 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 don't, don't be afraid. Tell me, tell me. And what does he say? Oh, my goodness. He says, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you. And its interpretation concern your enemies. He's saying, I wish this was about to happen to somebody besides you. I wish that, what? Are you kidding me? Just let that sink in for a minute. Here is one of the most practical examples of what it looks like when Jesus told us to love our enemies. Always oh, Jesus say, okay, yeah, love your enemies. Yeah, here's what it looks like. Ooh. Ooh. Right? Daniel, 
Daniel could have, he's been serving this man for decades now. He could have had decades of growing bitter. Can you outwardly look submissive and polite while inwardly still be seething with bitterness? That was weak. Oh, yes. And so he had not been seething with bitterness all this time with an outward veneer of polite submission, just thinking to himself, oh my goodness, how I long for the day to see this beast of a man taken down. He could have been standing there thinking, oh God, thank you for allowing me to live long enough to see this man go down. Bring it. Outwardly like, oh king, so sorry. Inwardly like, yeah. Take this beast of a man down who raped and pillaged your holy city, destroyed your temple and burned it to the ground, castrated me and hauled me along with many of your people into this God-forsaken pagan land of Babylon. Bring it. But that wasn't his heart. Wow. I want you to turn to Luke chapter six because I don't want you to just hear me superficially point you there. I want you to feel it and see it for yourself. What it looks like to love your enemies. You can see it in Daniel, but I want you to see what Jesus said to us. And while you're turning there, here's what I want to say. We've got too many Christians getting their marching orders, getting their marching orders from conservative talk radio and Christian bloggers out there on the internet that are reading their own mail more than they're reading the Bible. Hate and venom and spewing and all this, you did not get that from Jesus and you do not have the heart of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 6, beginning of verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. You say, okay, what would that look like? He doesn't leave you wondering. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Okay, I'll try to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. No, he helps you out. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Skip to verse 35. And your Reward will be great. Oh, but it gets better. And you will be sons of the most high. Does that ring a bell? That phrase, most high? Isn't that interesting? In Daniel chapter four, six times God is referred to as, say it, most high. You say you follow the most high God? You say he's your father? You say you're his son or daughter? Look at what Jesus says in Luke 6. When will you most look like sons and daughters of the most high? Not when you stand for truth so much that you're a hater and you just spew epithets at unbelievers and lost people. No. Not when you've got your end time charts all drawn out. Not when you can identify your spiritual gifts. Not, 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 not. You will be sons of the Most High when you love your enemies, when you do good to those that hate you, when you bless those who curse you, and when you pray for those who spitefully use you. Oh my goodness. Will that be natural? 
No. But has he given us anything supernatural to help us? Yes. The Easter resurrection that we celebrated, that resurrection power and that living Jesus lives in you if you're a believer. Oh, it's radical, but we're called to live radically different. Then you'll be sons of the most high. Oh, but get this. For he, God the Father, is kind to the unthankful and, say that next word, evil or wicked. See, that's our problem. I hear Christians say, oh, but they're wicked. These are wicked. Look what they're promoting. Look what they're doing in our land. Look, look, look. Okay, yeah. And Jesus said, he, the Father, is kind to the unthankful. Are they thankful for anything God that has given them? No. And evil. He's kind to them. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. We gotta get Christians getting their marching orders from Jesus. I don't see this getting better, folks. I see it getting darker. I see them getting more hateful towards us. I see them coming at us more. We need to get our heads around what does God call us to do when they turn against us. It's not attack back. It's not, it's love. Do good, bless, pray for, and look like sons and daughters of the most high. But understand, if you're sitting there saying, okay, 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 but we ever get to say anything to them? Yes. But we got too many Christians that are ready to speak truth and they're skipping the whole love thing. So look at how Daniel loved a man who wrecked his life and his country. But I do want you to notice, love doesn't mean you never speak. Because then in verse 22 and 27, he has the courage to say, verse 22, it is you, O king. He brings it. But even bolder than that, you need to realize in verse 27 when he says, therefore, O king. He's about to counsel King Nebuchadnezzar. You might not appreciate this, but in that day, he wasn't a counselor. He was an interpreter. Nebuchadnezzar just wants him to tell him what this means. I didn't ask you to tell me what you think I should do next. When you gave counsel that had not been asked for, it could be the last thing you did. You could lose your head. So this is loving and it's courageous as Daniel steps into that zone and says, Oh, king, let me actually counsel you what I think you should do now. Therefore, this is bold, break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to Daniel loved him enough to speak the truth and love. But what you need to get is Daniel loved him first. We got too many Christians that are all about truth and think love doesn't matter. Love matters Hugely. In fact, it ought to be hugely in place before you speak, or it would be best that you not speak. Amen. Ephesians 4 says, Speak the truth in, not in fear, not in hate, love, love, love. Here's what you need to also get a hold of. You can miss it sometimes the way the Bible's written. You can go from one chapter to the next and think that just is day one and day two. And sometimes there's years in between chapters. That's what we got going on here today. 
Daniel has been serving a wicked king for decades. I know we're only into Daniel 4, but it's decades now before this amazing moment to speak opened itself up. God may put you, listen, and that's, the, that's not the exception, that's much more the norm. Much more the norm when you read your Bible. God may put you in a place for years where it looks like there's no opportunity to speak or make a difference. I'm wasting my life here, right here. I gotta get out somewhere where I can do something for God. Daniel had been there for decades. See, what you need to understand is God's not in a hurry like we are and his timetable is nothing like ours. God is much more of a crock pot God. I didn't say crack pot, crock pot. I can do some cooking. Crock pot God than a microwave God. You look at his timetables and what he does with people, he's not in a hurry. He loves to get all the right ingredients in place, including you, where you are. And then just let it cook and simmer and settle in until he's ready to serve it up. Well, we keep looking for a microwave God. You won't find him in the Bible. Moses was ready to deliver God's people. And God said, no, no, you just killed a man. That's not how we're going to do this. Now go look at stinky sheep for not four weeks, not four months, not four years. How many? 40 years. Until you say, oh, I can't speak. Now you're ready. 40 years that we'd say, wasted. God doesn't see it that way. God may have you in a place where you just think there's no opportunity. There's never going to be an opportunity. I got to get out of here. Daniel served for decades in a wicked administration where it looked like God wasn't doing anything in this man's heart, but he was. Daniel had submitted to the sovereignty of God and had settled into being the best that he could be for a pagan king because he understood that he was there ultimately on mission for the one true living God. The mistake we make is we think, I'm on mission for God and I'll tell God when things should happen. When you're really on mission for God and you're submitted to the sovereignty of God, you also allow the calendar and the timetable to be God's. So God, I'm, I'm not gonna try to make things happen and I won't hit the exit door if I don't see things. I hear Christians all the time, oh man, oh, I need to, and I, could really, I, I could really do this for God. I could really, I could really... We need more Christians who are willing to say, I'm willing to be faithful and stay in a hard place and wait on God instead of telling everybody what I would do if I was where I wish I was. Where you are. Where does God have you? What about you? Are you willing to be faithful where you are? Not where you wish you were. And are you willing to wait on the Lord and stay in a hard place and have your heart so in tune with God that you don't get bitter during this waiting period, but your heart is still a heart of love? Listen to me, the heroes of the faith for me today, the darker it gets, the harder it gets, the heroes for me 
in the faith today are not people like me who work full-time in a church or others who work in a parachurch ministry surrounded by other Christians with Christian DNA and culture. And there's a bunch of mess there too, by the way. But it is easier than, than out in the marketplace, I'll admit. The heroes of my faith today are the men and women who are worshiping in our church family Sunday after Sunday, and then heading back out into the marketplace Monday through Saturday, living with a holy tension of how do I hold to God's word and not compromise while being the best that I can be in doing what I'm called to do in this industry. We've got men and women holding to God's word, loving Jesus, and practicing law and running a business, and managing people, and heading up HR, and working in the medical and pharmaceutical industry, and teaching in a public school or a college campus, and working in the arts and music industry, not fleeing from it. Is it godless? Oh yes. Do we need Christians in there? Yes, in the music and arts industry. Working in graphic design and internet development. Working in the financial industry, even though it has little or no morals and ethics anymore. And yes, serving, serving on councils and city boards and holding office where you're paid nothing or almost nothing. And almost all you get are unhappy emails attacking you. But there they are being salt and light and the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. Those are my heroes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. My job is so much easier than yours. And some of you have been Daniels for decades now. Wherever it is you serve, you've watched it get harder. You've watched it get darker. You've watched it get more complicated of how do you hold And the answer isn't that all Christians will exit and flee that entire industry and where we all find a street where we can all live on the same street and we all exercise in the same gym with Christian music and we all know the darker it gets, the more God wants his people in the midst of that darkness. You say, how am I gonna do that? Glad you asked, that's my third point. You won't be able to do this on your own. Some of you are trying to do it. Don't make the mistake of trying to live for God without being filled with the Spirit of God. You can't do this. It'll be supernatural to love, give, pray for, bless, while they attack you and slander you. You'll need the Spirit of the living God. So I think it's very interesting. After Daniel serving decades in Nebuchadnezzar's administration, even Nebuchadnezzar himself does not make the mistake of thinking it's just all about the man Daniel. Oh man, Daniel's just a great guy. She's just a great woman. I wish I had more like her working with me. He doesn't make that mistake. He discerns something about Daniel that I hope people where you work and people where we live and people where we exercise are discerning about us. Three times in Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, He points it out. Look at it in verse eight. In him is the spirit of the holy God. Verse nine, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, Daniel. Verse 18, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Well, let me help you. You say, I don't know. How would I know if I'm filled with the spirit? Don't think, oh, I gotta be able to make the water cooler levitate during lunch break. 
check it out, I'm a Christian. We're always looking for the miraculous. Folks, do you you know what gets people's attention? I know it sounds very vanilla when you read it, but the darker it gets and the harsher it gets, these things stand out like a diamond. The fruit of the Spirit. We don't have time to go there, but you could do this this afternoon. Galatians 5, verse 19 through 25, makes a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are immorality. Everybody's sleeping with everybody. Yeah, that's going on at work. I know it is. It's a sexual mess. Everybody's gossiping. Everybody's slandering. Everybody's a hater. There's backstabbing. It is the biggest mess. But you know what's sad? A lot of Christians are in there just like everybody else. But here's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You go into that workplace or that gym or that neighborhood with any of that, trust me, eventually someone will say, what is with you? You'll have a 1 Peter 3.15 moment. Be ready to answer anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Why don't you jump in like everybody else? Why aren't you bad-mouthing the boss? Why aren't you? Why, 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 why? Because the spirit of the living Jesus is in you. And you're bringing some love, joy, peace. This unrelated to circumstances. They can see you getting bypassed on, on, on promotions. They can see bad things happen to you and you not become bitter and you still work hard and you still be loving. And they're like, what? Fruit of the Spirit. Would anybody at work be wondering about you in a good way? What is up with her? She is so different. He is so different in a refreshing way. Too often Christians think the way they're gonna make a difference is by being so rude and obnoxious and just separating and isolating from everybody because I so don't wanna have sin around me. Jesus was accused regularly of eating with sinners. Get in the break room. I know ugliness is happening there. Don't eat your lunch by yourself in the car. Get in there. And they're just like, what in the world? Sweet aroma knowledge of Christ, fruit of the Spirit, would anyone say, this has gotta be something supernatural. What is going on here? Nebuchadnezzar said, I know the Spirit of the Holy God is in you, in you. The way you've conducted yourself in my administration, wow. But quickly, let me give you a final point that you don't wanna miss here. Don't miss what we should learn about our God and his mercy. Two things I want you to see about God in this chapter. One is nothing new, but it's so big in this chapter, we gotta thump it again. And it is a theme all through Daniel. And it is this, God is in control, say it with me, of who is in control. See, if we wanna emphasize something when we write today, it's easy with computers. You put it in all caps, like my mother in emails, like mother, you're yelling at me, why are these all caps? (laughs) We put it in all caps, we make it bold, We put it in 18 point font. The Bible writers had another way of getting this done. Repetition. That's why I keep telling you, when you see something repeated in the Bible, it's not that God needed a better editor. 
It's, he's emphasizing something. I, I hope you heard it as I read this. The God is in control. It's emphasized in this chapter because three times he brings it out. Verse 17, this is all gonna happen that they may know that the most high rules. And here's the deal. It's worded very carefully. Even those that allow for a thought about God say, sure, go ahead, rule the heavens. I don't care. It doesn't say that. The most high rules where? In the kingdom of men. Not one day will, does right now. The most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Verse 17, he says it again in verse 25. Till you know the most high rules where? In the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Still not done, verse 32, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Right now in Frankfurt, right now in Washington, right now in Moscow, right now in North Korea, the people who are there are only there because God gave it to them. That will help you sleep well. We got Christians that don't understand the sovereignty of God. Oh man, you'll sleep better when you get a hold of this. And as soon as God's done with them, you can read over in Jeremiah 27. It's like he says, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I think I put it in your bulletin. And everybody's gonna serve him, including all the animals, until, and his sons, and his sons, until his time is done, and then he will serve someone else because I'm the one ultimately in charge of who is in control. Our God reigns. So you can trust him, you can sleep good, you can serve him, you can love hateful people filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's something else that we struggle with that God highlights in this chapter that I want you to get a hold of. God delights in showing mercy to people we might have given up on long ago. Let me say it this way. There is no category of certain people that could be good candidates for Christianity. Stop thinking that way. God delights in showing mercy to people we would have given up on long ago. Right here in the book of Daniel, which is Old Testament, we got some gospel gold because God has mercy it doesn't say, and, and Nebuchadnezzar started giving away half his wealth. He started treating people better. He started repenting. No, he didn't. God intervened and had mercy on him and brought him to his knees and made him a worshiper of the one true living God. God has the power to transform the hardest hearts. Our God reigns and our God is merciful. So encouraging, so encouraging. But here's what you also need to understand with that crock pot microwave thing. Get this, in Daniel chapter two, when Daniel interprets the king's first dream about that big statue and all those kingdoms that are represented, and Daniel chapter four that we're in, 32 years have elapsed. Then add another year, because when Daniel calls him to repent, he doesn't. We know that from verse 29. It says, and 12 months later, he was walking out. He didn't repent. They often don't. Don't lose heart. 
So add a year. Then he lives like an animal for seven years. 32 plus one plus seven is 40 years. Daniel served in a wicked, dark administration, being the best that he could be for 40 years before that pagan king responded to Daniel's witness or bowed the knee to Daniel's God. But he did bow. Say, wow. Daniel stayed faithful in a hard place without getting bitter and waited on. Don't hear me saying I guarantee you'll see your your boss drop to her knees. I'm not saying that. If you stay there long enough. But guess what? You might. And even if you don't, it's not do they repent. God used me to be faithful. He wants there to be a witness everywhere. It's up to God. The harvest is up to God. He's just called us to be salt and light and the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. But if you would stay and we wouldn't be so prone to, I gotta get somewhere where I can really do something for God, you just might see God. You might have a front row seat to see something amazing. But as we close, I wanna, I wanna bring a caution to all of us. Because this is one of those chapters that has been so much about a wicked person. If you're not careful, the first three chapters of Daniel, Daniel is such a standout godly character, right? I mean, Daniel's one of those few characters we got nothing on him. It's like Noah got drunk right off the ark. Abraham lied. Isaac lied. Paul killed somebody or, or was a part of it holding their clothes. I mean, on and on we could go. Moses killed somebody. There's, we know Daniel was a sinner, but there's no record of his sin. So if you're not careful, you can fall into the trap of thinking, oh, God only saves and uses people like And then Daniel 4 hits us in the face with the reality that our God delights in saving and having mercy on pagan, hard-hearted people who are far from him that we might have given up on. And that's really good news. You know why? That means there's hope for everybody sitting here today. You don't have to have been homeschooled or already kind of leaning in the right direction. I don't know where you've been, who you are, or what you've done. There's hope for you. There is hope for you. Because when you read Titus 3, we don't have time to go there, but when you read Titus 3, you find out it's not just wicked despots and tyrants and wealthy celebrities that are filled with pride and in desperate need of God's mercy. Those two qualities characterize all human beings. We're all so prideful and we're all in desperate need of God's mercy. Titus 3 says we were once all chasing various lusts and it says we were hating and being hated but when the mercy and kindness of our Lord Jesus appeared and saved us by the washing and renewing of the spirit there's nobody here that God didn't rescue if you're a Christian and there's nobody here that God can't rescue if you're not a Christian oh that's good news but here's what it will take don't say well I've got to clean myself up I'm a mess 
No, you'll, never, you'll never get it cleaned up. You need him in your life and he'll help you on that. But here's what it will take. You have to be willing to bow your knee and come to the end of yourself and be willing to be undone and worship the true king of kings. No more my kingdom come. No more my will be done. The true king of kings, King Jesus. Oh God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the hope that we see in your word for everyone that you're able to save to the uttermost, those that come to you in Christ Jesus. And your heart is for the world. And you delay your return so that evil, wicked people who are far from you and self-righteous people who look like they're doing really well, but they're on their way to hell also, can come to their senses and trust in Jesus Christ and become objects of mercy. Oh, while you delay your return, use us as your people to be sons and daughters of the Most High by love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.